Thank you for joining us for another Carlton Fields podcast. Today's episode explores the circumstances involved in a recent data breach involving the cannabis industry. Carlton Fields attorneys Kevin McCoy and Joe Swanson will discuss cybersecurity and data privacy issues that all cannabis companies need to consider. They will provide practical cybersecurity tips to help cannabis companies better protect their business. Hello, everybody. We're back for another episode on the Can We Talk Cannabis podcast. I'm Kevin McCoy at Carlton Fields. I'm in our Tampa office and the co-chair of the National Cannabis Task Force. I had an opportunity recently. I was talking with uh, the practice group leader for our cybersecurity and privacy group, Joe Swanson. Uh, we were talking about some new issues that are emerging in cannabis and the crossover between our two practices as we see this new technology, if you will, in cannabis go mainstream and more and more businesses who are experiencing some of the more routine problems that are coming across for those who are handling any kind of customer data. Uh, So without further ado, uh, I'm going to introduce Joe Swanson. Joe, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Kevin. It's good to be here. Uh, Joe, maybe give the audience a little bit of your background on the cyber side and what you do here at the firm. Sure. Thanks. So I, I am a uh, shareholder in Tampa uh, with Kevin. Uh, I oversee the firm's privacy and cybersecurity practice group, which uh, has practitioners in a number of our offices throughout the country. Uh, and a number of us, including myself, are formerly federal prosecutors who handled cyber investigations and, and prosecutions. And so we have um, tried to apply what we've learned uh, in those experiences to the benefit of our clients uh, on the cybersecurity and privacy side. And uh, I'm excited to be here talking about this uh, uh, for you and your clients. So, Joe, when you talk about applying some of the things you learned as a prosecutor, I suppose there you were mostly dealing with after-the-fact issues and trying to prosecute criminals who were breaching systems and, and bringing them to justice. But here, your practice on the civil side is both preventative for businesses and reactive. Is that fair? It is, yeah. We, we break our practice down into a few different buckets, the first being uh, preventative work, like you talked about drafting policies and procedures, incident response guides, which are something I'll talk about a little bit later this afternoon, uh, and other kind of peacetime activities that companies should be doing to mitigate their risk from cybersecurity uh, incidents and breaches. The other bucket that we deal with is then the flip side of that, which is breach response. And um, and then the third bucket is litigation associated with those events, which unfortunately uh, is increasingly um, a sort of common uh, uh, event once there is a, a significant breach or other incident. Well, let's talk about litigation because that's really what uh, got us together as we were chatting uh, recently, and as I understand it, uh, one of the main events that happened recently is that there was a data breach that has now targeted the cannabis industry. Uh, even though this is an emerging industry and one that's growing rapidly across the country, uh, they're not immune already at this at this growth phase to being a target of those who are wanting to steal some data. And as I understand it, we we had a dispensary, and uh, obviously they're gathering a large amount of data from customers, from patients, uh, both personal information and purchase information, like credit cards, things like that. But tell us what happened in this particular case, and we'll walk through it and and then give some practical tips to those who are listening and maybe uh, needing some of that preventative counsel that you give. Sure. Uh, so what happened here was there there was a, a data breach um, involving a cannabis software provider named TH Suite, and TH Suite provides a variety of services to its clients, and among them are 
point of sale and inventory management for cannabis companies. Those are, are their clients. And in this instance, TH Suite, as many companies do, uh, regardless of cannabis industry or not, uh, use a cloud service provider, and it appears to be Amazon Web Services here, which is one of the biggest. And um, by virtue of the way the data was stored in the cloud, uh, allegedly that there was a vulnerability there, and it was exploited, and that exp the, the exploitation of that vulnerability led to a data breach involving at least three of TH Suite's customers, those three customers being um, dispensaries. And so the breach involved uh, information that um, belonged to uh, those dispensaries and was being managed or stored for one reason or another by TH Suite. And the, the information at issue, at least as has been reported thus far, really runs the gamut of the kinds of things. It's, it's a, a great illustration of the risks uh, associated with data breaches and points out a lot of things that tend to get overlooked. So the information here involved PII, personally identifying information. And what are some examples of that, Joe? That could be, uh, you know, in most states, that's name, social security number, name, and health information. Health information can come into play here because you've got um, patients possibly who are visiting uh, the, um, uh, the dispensaries whose information was being stored by TH Suite. Uh, and so you may have patient information, which raises some HIPAA concerns, which uh, I'll get to in just a moment. Um, and then you have the more garden variety PII name, uh, email address, phone number. That's not always a PII, depending on the jurisdiction you're in, but it can be. Uh, and it, it, if nothing else, it can um, cause issues uh, from a customer relations standpoint. So, Joe, in terms of this being a unique fact pattern to cannabis, this strikes me as something that's kind of similar to what we've seen in some more classic data breaches with big retailers and big box stores, where it's not really the store, you know, uh, say Target, for example, that is the target. The vehicle to get in is actually through some of their other contractors that they are using for ancillary services. Is that right? Yeah. No, that's absolutely right, and that's why vendor management is such an important um, aspect for cybersecurity preparedness and, and due diligence when you're selecting your vendors um, because, as you say, they're often the weak link that is used to, uh, to um, uh carry out one of these attacks. As you pointed out in Target, the, the means by which the attackers got onto Target's system was through an HVAC uh, vendor uh, in western Pennsylvania. Nobody remembers them. They remember Target. And so mm -hmm. from a PR standpoint, um, the vendor tends to get forgotten, and it is the public-facing company that uh, has the PR and, and other issues associated with it. One other thing about the nature of the information here, it, it was in addition to PII, sensitive business information. And that often gets overlooked because everybody is concerned when there's a data breach, understandably, with what their notification obligations might be to their customers or in some cases their employees. What they tend to forget is that there also may be sensitive business information. Like trade secrets. Trade secrets, customer lists, sales information. It looks here like uh, these three dispensaries had inventory information, employee information that was compromised as a result of this incident. And that can raise some, um, you know, difficult questions about the relationship going forward between TH Suite and, and the uh, companies that it serves. Uh, what do the contracts say about liability and indemnification mm -hmm. uh, in that kind of a situation? And so, you know, one thing that, that people need to be cognizant of when it comes to cybersecurity is it's not just about securing 
PII, it is also um, sensitive business information that could really be a competitive issue were that to get out. Yeah, you know, that's a good point. I have written on some of the prior blog posts about the sensitivities of trade secret information in the cannabis space because at the federal level, there are still some very serious challenges in terms of other IP protections that you can get because of the federal stance on cannabis in general, particularly any kind of uh, product that is associated with the marijuana side of cannabis as opposed to, you know, say, examples, CBD. But uh, trade secrets become even more important. I mean, everybody who has a trade secret thinks that that's the most important secret in the world, and sometimes it is. But here, where you can't get other forms of protection, that is certainly something to keep an eye on in these types of scenarios because that's the crown jewel. Whether it's a manufacturing process, it's something that's giving you that competitive edge against those who are trying to get into this emerging industry. So I appreciate you pointing that out. So what was another feature uh, you mentioned here the cloud, and just help those who are not acquainted with that aspect of this particular case understand what was going on and how the cloud came into play. So the cloud came into play here because it looks like TH Suite, like you know, companies around the country and around the world for that matter, uh, are using cloud storage for some, if not all, of their data storage needs. So there's cloud storage where you pay a company like AWS or, or um, another entity to store your data for you. Um, it's not actually uh, stored on site. If it's stored on site, it's on premise or on prem, uh, and and you know it'd probably be on servers that the company purchased. Going to the cloud has um, certain efficiencies. You don't need to buy all of that infrastructure and maintain it. Um, you know if you go with a big company. Uh, the idea is that you're also getting um, their security, uh, you know, that, that comes along with the fact that they are maintaining data for uh, tens of thousands of customers. But as, as, as companies move to the cloud, they need to be cognizant that these types of events can happen. And the hackers know that there is a wealth of information in the cloud. And often, no matter how robust the security is with an AWS or other major cloud service provider, the way in which the, um, uh, the storage space is set up for that particular client, it, there may be some vulnerability in the way that it was set up, as, as appears may be the case here. And so all the security in the world uh, doesn't matter if there's some problem with how that um, database was, was arranged. And, and you know, then the issue is going to be, among others, who bears the responsibility? Is that going to be Amazon's problem? Is it going to be Amazon's customer's problem, which is TH Suite? Um, and, and so there, the contracts also become critical. What is, the, uh, uh, what is the apportionment of risk between TH Suite and Amazon Web Services? I have a feeling uh, it, it is uh, uh, very strong in favor of AWS, just given their, their power in the marketplace. But as people look to go to the cloud, uh, particularly in this space, they need to look at what those cloud service agreements say about security. Are there reps and warranties about security? What kind of indemnification is there if there's a problem? If there is a breach, who's going to give notice, the cloud service provider or the customer? All of those things will get sorted out uh, in this instance. And how often are you getting called to engage in those kind of analyses for clients uh, that are coming across and we are servicing or are entering, whether it's cannabis or anything else. I mean, it seems to me that that's a, not only a big negotiation point, but a point that deserves attention in the finer details. Yeah, it, it comes up all the time, um, whether it's in the cannabis industry or otherwise. Again, because of the premium placed on 
vendor management as a um, as a cybersecurity risk uh, to be considered. You know, we are working with clients increasingly on what those contracts say about allocation of risk, reps and warranties. Um, if there's cyber insurance, is uh, is the the contract counterparty named as an additional insured under the cloud yeah. service provider yeah. policy? All of those things come into play just as they will in this case. Let's talk about just the focus on security. And if you had some takeaways here and tips for those who are listening, uh, it's just the practical pointers. Uh, because you, as you're seeing this market emerge, as cannabis is becoming a mature industry expected to generate billions of dollars, whether you're on medicinal or in a non-medicinal or a recreational or non-recreational state, you still got the entire CBD industry. And so all of them are starting to come into a posture where they're handling data, whether it's point of sale, whether it's customer private information, especially on the medicinal side, on the marijuana side, you mentioned the HIPAA laws and, and protecting health information just like you would. The expectation that you have going to any doctor uh, that your information won't be made available to third parties or sold on the black web. So what are the takeaways for those who are getting into the space or maybe are in the space, but until now have really never given this part of their business attention? Yeah, let's talk first about what the risks are, uh, which I think will underscore how important it is. Uh, and, and you touched on a few of them just there, Kevin. One is if they are handling patient data and they are a covered entity, which is a legal analysis unto itself, under HIPAA, they may be subject to the HIPAA uh, laws regarding cybersecurity and privacy. And there are a host of obligations with regard to maintaining the security and confidentiality of patient data. And where there is a compromise under HIPAA, there are notification obligations to HHS, there are notification obligations to the patients, and there are a host of penalties that may come into play where there's non-compliance. That would be in addition to the garden variety breach notification statutes that exist now in all 50 states that require notice to affected individuals, whether it's employees, everybody forgets about their employees, but their employees' data can be a compromise, or customers. And there may be notification obligations that kick in as early as 30 days upon becoming aware of, of an incident, and the notice would run to the individuals as well as to the attorneys general and other regulators, which could be a sensitive issue, I think, for some of the companies in this space. And you're space. talking about mandatory notification. Mandatory. You got, so this is self-tell. It is, it is mandatory. Uh, and in some jurisdictions, it's not just the attorney general, but it's also the division of state police. Uh, and so, you know, uh, for 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 companies operating in this space too, where the you know the the legality of it is so jurisdiction specific, uh, that's another aspect to keep in mind. To say nothing of the private plaintiffs bar, uh, you know, increasingly. Uh, where there is a, a major breach, you will see uh, a major plaintiff's firm, if not more, filing lawsuits, potential class actions within days of the incident being announced, just the way that old stock drop suits used to be filed when, when a stock uh, slipped on, on the uh, stock exchange. So those, those are, are risks that come at these companies from a variety of angles. And so in light of those risks, what can be done? You know, you pointed out, Kevin, that a lot of the companies in this space are growing very rapidly. And that's great for them um, and, and for those who work for them. The issue is often that growth is not accompanied by a maturity and controls that would help to reduce some of these risks. So these companies are so focused on, on growth and expansion that they can forget to have in place some of the policies and procedures and other documentation 
that would help them in the event of an incident. So what am I talking about there? Well, one of those is a written information security plan or program or a WISP. In some states, like in Massachusetts, if you do business there, you must have in place a WISP, which is your written explanation for how your organization maintains and secures its information. Everything from hard copy documents to electronic data. Most companies are not aware of that obligation, uh, and it can trip them up. Um, so have a WISP in place. Another thing to have in place is an incident response plan, which is a ideally very short, accessible, and usable document that sets out for the organization who's on the incident response team if there is a breach, how is it going to be investigated, what are the triage levels, when is law enforcement called, kind of all the things written down so that if there is an incident, there's something to turn to and people aren't just you know, flying by the seat of their pants. Yeah, so let's talk about the incident response plan because I know what that is just from the kind of war games that we've been through here in the firm of, of better understanding this, but it's the kind of situation where you have a plan and the uh, there's been a breach, it's been identified or brought to management's attention, and then we like to play the game well. Um, the chief executive is now unavailable uh, on a cruise somewhere for the next 48 hours, but that's when all of the, the stuff starts to happen, when you've got to start investigating. You may get uh, ransom threats to expose the data or, or help us understand a little bit more about how that sometimes plays out. Yeah, again, the, the incident response plan, you don't want it to be a lengthy document. You want it to be something that um, people know where it is and you've practiced with it before. And so if there is an incident, you pull it off the shelf and you say, okay, assemble the six people who are on this team. And yes, if one of them is on vacation or sick or otherwise unreachable, who is their backup? All of that should be spelled out in the plan, even with people's cell phone numbers and ways to get in touch with them on weekends and evenings, which is invariably when these things tend to happen. Uh, and so um, have that incident response plan in place. And whether it's that or just cybersecurity preparation in general, we like to tell our clients, particularly clients here in, in growth mode, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Having something, and ideally something that you can follow, is better than nothing. And so rather than sort of throw up your hands and be paralyzed by indecision and, well, geez, we're, you know, we're never going to be able to put all of this together, um, just start somewhere. And a lot of these resources, a WISP, an incident response guide, you can find examples on the, on the web. Get them. Tailor them to your organization, know where they are, socialize them within the company, and then practice with them. And that will go a long way to um, reducing your risk profile because the studies are, are unanimous in finding that the, the sooner you can identify and contain uh, a breach, your costs of responding go down dramatically. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's just, that's just critical. And if you are ever... Uh, subject to regulatory scrutiny, having these controls in place will be great things to point to to try to mitigate your exposure with the regulators. A couple of other points to mention when we're talking about tips, and that is encrypting your data. Uh, the reports that I've read about this incident indicate that the data was unencrypted. Having data encrypted is absolutely essential uh, where, it's, where it's sensitive data, uh, and that's for a number of reasons. One, your contracts may require that you keep the data encrypted when it's on your systems, or sometimes um, it's referred to at rest. Uh, there may also be obligations in your contracts that it be encrypted when it's in transit, being sent from one place to another. Having encryption is critical not only to fulfill whatever obligations you have in your contracts, but also 
most breach notification statutes have a carve out where there is no obligation to make the notice where the data is encrypted and thus unusable. Can you just briefly give everybody an understanding of what it means to have it encrypted uh, for those who just aren't familiar with that process or, or what's going on there? Yeah, I mean, encryption is, a, is a, a, a way of rendering the data unreadable and, and unusable without having access to the encryption key. Yeah. And so, so long as the data is encrypted and the attacker has not also gotten his or her hands on the encryption key, in most states you're not going to have to make the notification that everybody loathes and that is very costly and, and um, you know, can really drive up uh, the, the price tag on these incidents. One, one final tip to consider, and that is there is increasingly a robust market for cyber insurance. Mm -hmm. And as these companies are growing and considering risk management and looking to develop insurance programs for a variety of risks, they should, as well as their brokers, think carefully about whether they can get some kind of cyber insurance to mitigate these, these risks. Uh, that can be absolutely essential in keeping the cost down. And also, having a cyber insurance policy typically gives the insured access to a panel of pre-selected forensic service providers, law firms, other third parties that you may call upon in a breach who've been vetted and approved by the carrier ahead of time and who tend to have negotiated rates. And so that's just another reason to really look seriously at cyber insurance. That's great. Um, I think this is a, a fantastic overview and, and uh, a way to get those who are uh, not familiar with, with the risks of handling all this data uh, a little further down the road and at least thinking about this as a part of their business and something that is important and has to be addressed and protected in various ways. So I really appreciate you taking the time today, Joe. This has been helpful. You can follow more of our content uh, at carltonfields.com at Canna We Talk Cannabis. And if you also are, uh, have the ability, you can follow Joe and his team over at the Cybersecurity uh, Podcast. Joe, give a plug for the full name of that uh, production that you all have going there. Yeah, it's, it's CF on Cyber, uh, where we uh, host podcasts just like this one, talk about timely uh, topics of interest to our clients. And we also maintain a cyber app, which has a number of resources that the listeners may find useful, whether it's checklists and other guides uh, to help them get into place uh, the things we've been talking about today. Well, thanks a lot. We appreciate you stopping in over on the Cannabis Channel today, and that'll do it for this episode. Thanks. You've been listening to Carlton Fields' podcast series with Kevin McCoy and Joe Swanson. To learn more about our cannabis and cybersecurity practices, visit carltonfields.com. This podcast is intended for general information and educational purposes only and should not be relied on as if it were advice about a particular fact situation. The distribution of this podcast is not intended to create and receipt of it does not constitute an attorney-client relationship with Carlton Fields. Thanks for listening.